Well, good morning. God's grace is sufficient for your weakness. What a great word. Do you believe that? That God's grace is sufficient in your weakness. You know, one of the ways that he strengthens us is getting in a room together and hearing you guys sing. That just was strength to my soul. Thank you for singing so loud and so passionately. I love, love being in here. Don't ever deprive yourself of that gift of God's grace, to be here, to sing with your family in Christ. Um, good to be here with you. My name is Michael. Uh, I want to give you an update on Pastor Scott. You, if you are on any of our email databases, you got an email, I guess, Monday, Tuesday. Giving an update, uh, last weekend, Pastor Scott experienced uh, an, an inner ear infection that caused some... Um, pretty substantial vertigo symptoms. And uh, good news is he's recovering very, very slowly every day. In fact, he was here during the first service. It was really, really awesome to see him. And uh, he's getting balance back every day. And uh, so he's, he's on the road back. He still needs to hear, uh, recover hearing in his left ear. So just be praying for that through, throughout the week if you can. Uh, I think it's just a few weeks uh, to work through physical therapy, but um, yeah, just be praying for Scott about that. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Hosea chapter six. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hosea chapter six. If all those minor prophets get jumbled up in your mind, let me give you a little hint. It's right after Daniel. There are four books of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then there are 12 of the minor prophets, and Hosea is at the beginning of this last book of 12. So a lot of little tiny ones, but Hosea stands at the beginning of those minor prophets. It's a good book. As you're turning there, let me give you a quick story. I keep a file on my computer called Sermon Notes. Um, some people collect rocks or stamps. I collect sermon ideas. It's just kind of, a, I'm a nerd, I get it, but whenever I come across a passage, either in my Bible reading or I hear something or I think of something that jumps off the page, I'll make a few notes and drop it in a file. Uh, save this for later, maybe jot down a couple of uh, outlines or whatever and um, save it for a rainy day. Well, when I found out again on Monday that I'd be preaching, I got to dig into my collection, which is always fun. You know, you like to go to your collections and look at everything, right? So I went to my collection and it, just, it took me about 30 seconds to decide, I wanna go to Hosea chapter six. This passage has always fascinated me. It's always encouraged me. It's always jumped off the page. And so I really wanted to spend a week with it. And so here we are after having spent a week with Hosea chapter six. I love it even more. We're only gonna look at the first three verses of this uh, chapter. It's a small, simple prayer. But before we do, it might help to get an overview of the entire book of Hosea. What's going on in Hosea? If you know one thing about Hosea, you know this. God had asked his prophet, Hosea, to marry a woman who would have an affair. Uh, Gomer, Hosea, go marry Gomer. She's going to irrationally reject your love, wander from your house, and then walk into a life of destruction. It's horrible. Um, my buddy Ricky, when he used to preach the book of Hosea, he said, if that weren't bad enough, her name was Gomer. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so it's a horrible situation for Hosea. That's the focus of the first three chapters. Um, faithful Hosea, faithless, his faithless wife. God wanted Hosea to paint this provocative picture for the nation of Israel of what was happening with him in his relationship with his people. So in chapters four through 14, the focus will shift off of the, the personal drama and into the religious situation with the people. God has been faithful. God has given Israel everything. He's given them life and the covenant and he's brought them into the land and he's given them all of this, these wonderful blessings and they've walked away. So the theme of this part of the, the book is faithful God and his faithless people. 
God has been faithful, but his people have irrationally rejected them, him to their own harm. Because of this, Hosea is a very difficult book. It's a lot more difficult than I realized when I decided to preach from it on Monday. When you open your commentaries and the first thing they say is, Hosea is known as the deathbed prophet. You're like, ah, I'm up for a bumpy week. Um, but it's also way more beautiful than I realized as well. Um, Hosea's name means salvation. It sounds very similar to Hosanna. Hosea, salvation. And his faithful, tireless pursuit of his wandering wife I think has quickly skyrocketed him to become one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And so as challenging as this book is, we should be glad that our Bibles have books like this in it because Hosea is a book for wanderers. Hosea is a book for people who have gotten off the path of discipleship. Hosea is a book for the people in this room that have been lured away by money, by a career. It's just taken up all your attention by family. It's a book for those who have grown weary in doing good and have taken a little nap. And I think we all get there from time to time, don't we? We all get off the path. We all get a little bit lost sometimes and we need to be roused back to our, to our first love for God. Hosea is just that. It's a rousing call to return to the God who is the source of your life. Why would you ever leave him? Come back to the Lord. That's what Hosea is about. The text that we're gonna consider this morning in chapter six is a powerful call for renewal. Everyone in this room wants to be renewed. We want resurrection. We want revival. When the Asbury thing was going on last year, everybody was excited because that's what we want in our lives. We want to thrive. We want to see God do a fresh work in our lives. That's the hunger of every heart in this room. But that type of renewal only comes when we repent from our sin, leave our idols behind, and turn back to God. And so it's also a sermon about repentance. You see, these two themes, renewal and repentance, Go hand in hand. You can't get one without the other. So without a mind, let's look at Hosea chapter six, verses one through three. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are open before you. This word is a powerful word. I pray that it would work deeply in our hearts. Would you call us back to you? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Look at that first word in the first verse. Just this beautiful one-word invitation for the wandering nation. Come. It's one of the best words in the Bible. If that word were taken out of your Bibles, we wouldn't be here this morning. And so when you look at this, maybe you wanna underline that. And when you see this throughout the Bible and it's there all the time, consider what this says about God, who's just constantly calling you back to himself. Come. When, when the nation was torn up with idolatry, God says, come, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. When the nation was distracted and preoccupied with the busyness of life, 
The song, the, the song leader in Psalm 95 says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. When Jesus saw the people buckling under the weight of the religious demands that the Pharisees had put on him, he said, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, if this word were removed from our Bibles, we're removed from this room. We wouldn't come back to God unless he calls. But he calls. As the old song says, I'm sure many of you know it, softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. It's a bit sentimental, and there's probably a day in my life where I would have maybe rolled my eyes at at the sentiment until I read Hosea chapter 11, which says, my heart turns within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. God loves you. And he calls for you to come back to him. Aren't you glad this simple word is in the Bible? When God opens your ears to hear the call of Jesus, calling you back, calling you into a relationship with him, there's only one option. You drop what you're doing and you come. And so as Hosea now gives the call, come, he will move into the heart of the, of the, of the invitation. And he's gonna show us what kind of attitude we need to come with. This will serve as the outline of our text this morning. These are two marks I believe, of a genuine repentance. God calls you, okay, you turn, but you have to have these two marks to come back into the Lord's presence. First, Hosea calls us to return to the Lord. And second, let us press on to know the Lord. Very simple. Let us return to the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. That's the pathway to renewal. So let's look at the first mark of repentance, which is found in verses one through two. When God opens our ears, we we turn. We turn away from our sin and turn back to him. Look, look at the verses again. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us and on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So we've already established that Israel had wandered away from God's love. They had gotten distracted, just like Gomer with, with other lovers, they had wandered away. What we need to make very clear, however, at this point in this sermon is that they did not thrive away from God's love. Gomer didn't thrive away from Hosea and God's people didn't thrive away from God. This is a bedrock principle in the Bible and it stands true today in 2024. You will not thrive when you leave God. You think you will. People think that they do. They say, hey, they'll throw out a podcast, they'll write a book, and they'll say, I left the church and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Talk to me in a couple of years. You can ride off into the sunset with a bag full of money with your dad's inheritance, and you can party all that you want to. It's gonna be wonderful, but that money will run out. You can cut yourself like a flower off from the source of life, and you can look pretty on a kitchen table for a little bit, but it's gonna wither. When you cut yourself off from the source of life, you will not thrive. So don't expect it. Don't expect to leave the Lord and say, there's a better life out for me. There there is not. That is a truth. You can try as hard as you want to to avoid it. You will never evade that truth. There's no life apart from God. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. By chapter six, guess what? They're not thriving. 
And so Hosea calls them to return to the Lord because two reasons. First, he has torn us apart, and second, he has struck us down. They're in a miserable place. Now, if you're reading closely, this might be disturbing a bit because who caused their misery? He has torn us to pieces. He has struck us down. God. When we walk away from God to pursue our own selfish goals in life, God doesn't just sit back and say, well, good luck. No. He actively pursues us to make our lives miserable. Praise the Lord that he does this. Even in Romans 1, I was thinking about this. You know, Romans 1, the the people had the clear truth about God and they suppressed it. And what does it say? The people often talk about the passive wrath of God. That he just hands them over. But even that is an active movement that he's making. He's handing them over to, to reap the consequences of their sins. The theme is all over the Bible and it is especially pronounced through the pages of Hosea. In fact, if you look at the end of Hosea 5, if you have your Bibles open, you're in six, just go up like two or three verses and you will find that God is describing himself as a devouring lion chasing down his people to tear them apart and carry them away. It's also in chapter 11. It's also in chapter 13. The lion stalks all through the pages of Hosea. I think most Christians are somewhat comfortable imagining God as a lion. We have C.S. Lewis to thank for this. It's a beautiful image. Do you remember that beloved quote from the Chronicles of Narnia where the Pevensey children are learning about Aslan for the first time? Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I got to do my reading voice this morning, so you like that? <laughs> kids, was that a good Mr. Beaver? I always have to ask my kids, is that a good Mr. Beaver? And yeah, it's a little harsh. Well. It's a brilliant quote, but Christians love that quote because we know that we can approach the lion of the tribe of Judah. At the end of the book, they're, they're playing and dancing with him, and it's a beautiful scene. But as one commentator said, let's not be too quick to take out the lion's teeth. God is so good, but when we walk away from him, he pursues us, he tears us, and he brings us down. That's difficult, and if this were all the information that we had about God, people would rightly assume that God is cruel. That's what we would do, isn't it? When people spurn our love and our gifts, we come back out of, out of vengeance and maybe out of hatred or out of envy. That's what humans do, but this is why we need a Bible. Because God's love is different than human love. He is God, not human. And so we find different things about who God is. God pursues us out of love. Because you see in the very same verse, Hosea will offer the warmest of invitations for the nation to return to this devouring lion. He's torn us, but he will heal us. He's struck us down, but he'll bind us up. The lion's fierce pursuit of his wandering people is motivated by love. It's a severe love, or to use another C.S. Lewis quote, a severe mercy, but it's a powerful and a redeeming love, and we should be thankful that God pursues us like this. Now, this single verse gives us such a compelling picture of God. Don't get lopsided in your view of God. He is strong, and yet he's compassionate. He's fierce like a ravenous lion, and yet he is gentle, stitching up your wounds. He's determined to destroy the sin in our lives, but he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He injures, 
but he binds. When you can see the depth of God's love for you, this is the first call to repentance. When you understand who God really is, that he's calling, that he loves you, that he has mercy and compassion, there's one option, you repent and you can turn to him. If you're only looking at the lion's teeth, you're running away from him and you turn back and you see the teeth, you're just gonna keep running. But when you can see the mercy in his eyes, as the song says, you'll have the courage to stop and to submit yourself to his gentle care. He isn't safe, but he's good. I promise you that. Hosea will go even further in verse two, and this is where it just gets incredible to me, as he considers how powerful is God's redemption. He's taken us out of this life of, of misery and bringing us back to himself, but it's gonna, it's gonna ratchet up here in verse two. After two days, Hosea says, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Now, what we've been talking about to this point seems like a flesh wound. God has injured the people and now he's gonna stitch them up. But in verse two, we're dealing with a mortal wound. They're dead. This is resurrection language. God is not healing, he's calling them back from life. And this is where the text jumps off the page because not even death can separate God's people from his redeeming love. In two days, the Lord will revive us. On the third day, he'll raise us up. When all hope has faded, when the lights have gone out, God will speak into the darkness and bring us home. It's truly amazing. When you have sinned and left him to the point where there is literally no way, you don't even have a desire to come back. You're dead, which is what the Bible says that we all are, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where God speaks and that's, what he does his, that's when he does his best work because he's a God of resurrection. My favorite line of the creed, I believe in the resurrection. Do you believe that God has the power to bring you back from sin and death? This is what he does. I'm shocked actually that this verse is in the Old Testament. This is really tremendous. I used to think even just a few months ago that the Old Testament really didn't have a ton to say about the Old Testament or about resurrection. Now, it's certainly true that there there's a lot more fog in the Old Testament when it comes to death. When the Old Testament saints would die, they didn't have a very clear picture. And so there's a lot of fear in the Psalms. When you're reading them, they, they don't wanna go to the, the land of the dead because then they won't be able to praise the Lord. You don't find that in the New Testament. Christians, we have assurance in our death. We go straight to be with the Lord. Not so in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is silent on the issue of resurrection. It's not that God just decided to completely hide this part of his plan and then on Easter Sunday morning go, surprise! Because when he rose from the dead in Luke chapter 24, he talked with a couple of his disciples and he said, guess what? It's been there all along. Just like the scriptures prophesied, the son of man must come and suffer and die and rise again, which means if you're looking closely in the Old Testament, you should find resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said that Christ died on the third day, died and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What Bible verse is he talking about? Most commentators believe he's talking about Hosea chapter six, verse two. The third day, he'll raise us up. I'm truly stunned that this verse is in the Old Testament. Well, Hosea's point back in the, back in the context as he wanted people to return to God because why? God has the power to re resurrect his people when all hope is gone. It's amazing. Did, now, did Hosea know that he was predicting Easter? 
I don't think so. Did Hosea have a picture when he wrote this beautiful invitation that God would send his son Jesus to be torn for our sins? That he would be struck down so that we might be healed? I don't think Hosea had a full picture of Good Friday and of Easter. I think this is what was happening. I think as Hosea was carried along by the Holy Spirit, he was simply reflecting and meditating on the amazing redeeming power of God's love. He was so tuned in to the heart of God. You have to remember, Hosea had a hard life. He was rejected as a prophet. He was rejected by his own wife. And yet he poured over the scriptures. He poured out his heart to God in prayer. And I think that that intimacy that he had with the Lord revealed these deep and beautiful truths that would resonate into the New Testament. That's what I think is going on here. Don't you want to know the Lord like that? Don't you want to invest your life just knowing God's plan and God's way and trusting in his goodness and trusting in his compassion? That's what Hosea did. And that actually sets us up for the second point of the sermon, which is the second mark of a, of a return to the Lord. Second mark of a genuine repentance. Look at the verse. Hosea will tell us now to press on to know the Lord. I think he has pressed on to know the Lord. Now he wants the people to do the same thing. Let us know, he says in verse three, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Do you feel that passion in the text? Hosea says, let us know the Lord. And then he stops. Because that doesn't get it. It's not something just to go, hey, come back and know the Lord. He stops mid-sentence and he goes, let us press in to know the Lord. That word press on is, is a very passionate word. You can think of uh, the soldiers at the end of a long, hard-fought battle where they're pressing on to pursue the enemy, persecute. They're chasing them down. Let us press on to know the Lord. And so the ones then who, who, have, who have been pursued by this lion now in return press on to know the Lord. It's, it's remarkable. When you come back to the Lord, you must come with your whole heart. You don't come with one eye on the past, like Lot's wife, saying, thank you for saving me, God. Look at all this stuff I'm gonna miss. You don't come with one foot out the door. Now remember, Hosea's message is wrapped up in this interpersonal drama with Gomer, his adulterous wife. God had commanded him to marry her and she promptly walked away and by chapter three, her life had fallen apart. But in chapter three, God says, put some money together, get 15 pieces of shekel and go buy her back. Uh, apparently she had fallen into some sort of trafficking network and it was a horrible situation. And so Gomer does. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible. And this is a picture of God's love for you. And so at the end of chapter three, he's bringing Gomer back across the threshold. And remember in chapter four, we move on to the, another part of the, the, the book. So we don't really know how the drama ends. But let's imagine in the morning, Hosea is sitting by the bed and Gomer wakes up and you can see the light in her eyes. And there's that sigh of repentance and this heartfelt embrace, I'm so sorry. They drink coffee around the table for many, many hours and, they, and, and Gomer just listens and presses in to know Hosea and the little children that are running around that she abandoned. She's there to know. It's different. That's what we hope happens, right? That, that's a beautiful conclusion to this horrible story. But we can also imagine another scenario. What if Gomer woke up and looked around and then did the sigh of, ah, oh, I'm back here. 
She fell into a deep sadness and she spent the rest of her days sitting by the window, longing for her old life, scratching out the names of old lovers, completely distracted to Hosea and the children. Is that a return? Is that what Hosea wants? Is that the kind of return that God wants from you when you've strayed from him? And yet this is how so many people treat the Lord. They're fine to build their lives apart from him and then when it falls apart, because it will fall apart and everything crumbles, they come crawling back to the Lord when their marriage crumbles or they lose their job or they have a health scare, they come crawling back to God, but they're not really interested in God. They just want to get their life right so that they can keep their idols intact. That's not a return. God doesn't want that. It's not a mark of genuine repentance. Hosea shows us the type of response that God desires. We must know the Lord. No, we must press on to know the Lord. He wants all of you. Now that's scary because you're gonna have to leave everything else behind. And you don't know if you can give this kind of love to God. He's compassionate though, and he'll receive it. Can, can I leave behind my idols? You've spent so much time carving out those idols. You have been, you've worked out all the intricate details and you've, you've crafted this wonderful life for yourself. And now God is calling you to leave that because it's really enslaving you. Leave your idols behind and return to the Lord. Can you do it? You can't serve God in money. Can you leave it behind? You can't return to God and keep a few pet sins in the closet. No, no, no. What the Lord requires of you. And Jesus will say this in Luke. If you don't renounce everything that you have, you cannot be my disciple. You have to make a clean break and press into the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I know that you're sitting on the fence going, I, don't, I just can't do it, but watch. I want you to watch what happens when you muster up the courage to leave it all behind and press in to know the Lord. Look at the last line of Hosea's invitation. Come back because his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. When you leave your sin behind and you come back to Jesus, it's like the first sight of dawn after a long, dark night. When you say goodbye to your idol and you press into the Lord, your frosty soul will be blanketed by the warm spring rains after a long, hard winter. In other words, when you turn to God, that's, that's where life appears. That's where you thrive. That's where you find personal renewal. That's where you find salvation and the joy of your salvation when you turn to God. Life comes back. Yesterday afternoon, I was piddling around in my yard and I saw one of the best sights that I've come to long for every year. My hostas are coming back. I know they're not very impressive uh, and there's snow in the forecast again and the deer are gonna come and get them as soon as they get a little bit higher, they're gonna be gone, but hey, it's okay. It's a simple reminder that the curse of winter is losing its grip. Pretty soon the willow tree that sits above it will bloom and the hillside will be covered in flocks and the birds will start their song up again and the chipmunks and squirrels will come back and do whatever it is that they like to do in my backyard. The world's waking up. Aslan is on the move, as they say. Life is coming back. That's the type of transformation that happens when you turn to God. That's the promise of Hosea 6, and it's confirmed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
He was torn for you. He stood in front of the lion of God's wrath and was torn and struck down so that you could be healed and injured. Unbelievable. Jesus said to the grieving sisters, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said, yeah, I know, down the road, the future. You'll give us life down then. He goes, no, now. I'm the resurrection and the life today. If you believe in me, though you die, you'll live. And when you return to the Lord and press in to know him, the curse of death will begin to lose its grip and life will come and flourish. Isn't that what you want? It's what you want. This is Hosea's simple message. And I hope your heart has been stirred to respond to the call of Jesus because he's calling. But as we close, I want to consider one more mark of a genuine repentance. It's not explicitly in the text, but it's all around it. And I feel like I need to bring it up. This is a sneaky preacher move. You thought there were only two points. I'm slipping in a third. I'm sorry. I've just got a couple more sentences. That's it. But it needs to be said because I made a really sad discovery this week as I studied the text. Hosea gives this beautiful, clear call to repentance. Come back. But they didn't. They didn't listen. They didn't respond. They hardened their hearts and kept going away. I suppose this is why Hosea is known as the deathbed prophet. Like if you look at verse four, God's going back to go, what what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. You promise all this life and you have nothing because you've not returned with your whole heart. What am I gonna do with you? They carried on in their sins until Assyria carried them off for good, the northern kingdom. And so we could say this, that the third mark of a genuine repentance is that we obey as soon as we hear the call today. That's the message of Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The author of Hebrews will pick up on this theme as well. In other words, when you hear the Lord calling you, that is a gift of grace. That is one of the best sounds you will ever hear in your life. And when you hear that breakthrough into your soul, you've been cherishing your sin, but God says, come home. What a grace. Learn how to say yes immediately. That's a skill. That's a discipline of the Christian life. That God, when you call me, I will obey you. Not tomorrow, today. Because sometimes you don't feel like it. You know, that's what your sin does. Your sin wants to hold on to you and it wants to say, tomorrow's a better day to do it. You can do it at your lunch break tomorrow. Yeah, right. If you don't feel like it today, you're not gonna feel like it tomorrow. When you harden your heart now, it'll just get harder tomorrow. That's how, that's how the hardening of sin works. It has a cumulative Effect, which means that if God is speaking to you, that is a grace, respond to the grace of God's call. When the spirit convicts you of sin, I know it's uncomfortable, it's the lion's teeth sinking into you. And you think, I wanna get away from that and I don't wanna deal with this right now. That's forgiven sin that he's convicting you of. And you can bring it to him and you can confess it, you can bring it to the life and you can watch the little hostas and the daffodils pop up all over your life. And until you do that, you're going to remain in your hardness and refuse to repent. So when you hear the Lord calling, repent. I think about Peter. After the resurrection, the Lord's standing beside the Sea of Galilee and he calls Peter and it takes Peter a little bit to understand what was going on until he hauls in this, oh my goodness, he's done it again. (laughs) What did Peter do? He jumped into the water and he swam to shore That's what God wants from you. 
when you hear the word and the voice of Jesus calling to him, press on to know him. Let's pray. Ah, Lord, we're thankful that you call us. You didn't have to. You really didn't. We wandered away and you said that the wages of sin is death and you could have just left the story there and you would have been right to do that, but your mercy and your compassion um, is so great that you call us and that you chase us and that you overwhelm us with your love, with your redeeming love, and you purchase us back. Hosea paid 15 shekels for Gomer. You paid with the blood of Jesus. Lord, we are like Gomer. We've gotten distracted, irrationally, we've gotten distracted and sidetracked with, with other things and they've not brought us life. And so we, we say that we're sorry and we're thankful that you'll have us back. We're thankful that you're gentle and lowly and compassionate and meek towards us and that you can, you can save us and redeem us. And so as you call this morning, I pray that we would respond and I pray that life would come. I believe in the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.